0: Welcome to Optimal the Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dickon Weatherby, and this podcast and my website all focus on one thing, and that's the quest for optimal health. Our goal is to help you to help your patients achieve optimal health so they can experience an optimal life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. And also make sure to go over to OptimalDx.com and check out our resources on the site. Now, without any further delay, is today's episode. Hello and welcome to Optimal, the podcast. My name is Dr. Dick Weatherby from Optimal DX, and uh, welcome to today's show. And I'm joined, as usual, by uh, Beth Ellen DeLulio in Naples, Florida. How's it going, Beth?
1: Hi, it's going great. Thank you.
0: Just went through Hurricane Nadalia. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that's the second hurricane in less than a year, maybe. Hopefully, that's it for the rest of the season. I'm glad to hear you got through that okay. Well, today's guest, I am super excited about someone that I've been following for many years. Uh, This is Dr. David Brady, almost 30 years of experience as an integrative medicine practitioner, over 25 years in the health sciences academia, licensed naturopathic medical physician in Connecticut and Vermont, board certified in functional medicine and clinical nutrition, a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. Completed his initial clinical training as a doctor of chiropractic. He is also the chief medical officer for Diagnostic Solutions Lab and Designs for Health, two very impressive companies. He is also the former long term vice president of the Division of Health Sciences and director of the Human Nutrition Institute at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, where he continues to serve as an associate professor of clinical sciences, maintains a private practice, whole body medicine in Fairfield, Connecticut. He's also an internationally sought-after presenter on nutritional, functional, and integrative medicine. And we are delighted to have you today, Dr. Brady, on Optimal Podcast. So welcome.
2: Oh, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I guess it's a mutual admiration society. You said you followed me. I followed you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh... Well, I used, I did more than that. I used your textbooks and a lot of your resources (laughs) in a way teaching laboratory diagnosis for a couple decades. So thank you.
0: Well, you're very welcome. And thank you for those kind words. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, obviously you're wearing two hats with the chief medical officer for Diagnostic Solutions Lab, and you're heavily in the laboratory medicine side of things, then also designs for health and heavily involved in the nutraceutical field. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of what, you know, how that goes for you and sort of how you fit your clinical practice and, and just sort of Tell us a little bit about yourself and what your practice is
2: like. Yeah, wow, that's so. And
0: I'll we'll uh, we'll take a break oh, yeah, in twenty minutes. A,
2: a crazy wild ride, but it's been a fun one. Yeah, like you said, I've been in practice for thirty years. Uh, I guess you can say I've been making mistakes and learning from them for thirty years. And a lot of the stuff I do and found and and formulated or designed was just out of sheer desperation, right? Of needing yes. something to do something or get something done for people who are in need. So that dragged me through the years into the therapeutic side of things. Well, with Design for Health for over 20 years as their CMO, primary product formulator, and just lead the R&D innovation team and oversee clinical trials and a whole bunch of stuff and educating practitioners and the like. And before that, I worked with a bunch of other leading professional brands in formulation and in their translational science sort of educational efforts. But then I'd been on the diagnostic side for a very long time, also worked with most of the laboratories that people would know in the space in some way, shape, or form, and then took a lot of that experience that I learned uh, through the years in the laboratory space with some really super smart and equally experienced partners. And we started Diagnostic Solutions Lab about seven years ago to do it the way we thought was the right way, and really leverage a lot of, at the time, was very, very cutting-edge emerging laboratory science that was really moving rapidly from the research world into the clinical world. And also a lot of the different omics, you know, microbiomics and metabolomics, genomics, proteomics, all of that. We were really wanting to leverage that, but with a functional integrative naturopathic medical twist to it, which is different than the way it's often used in more research settings. So it's been a really cool challenge. And I think we have succeeded in many ways in bringing a lot of really cutting edge cool tools to our profession that can be used in people with chronic complex disease that we usually treat. So it's been really cool. And then, you know, I had my whole academic side for 25 years in academic medicine at the end, the last 10 years overseeing the entire allied health science division for a university. So that was interesting and brought me into a lot of the different health professions, allied health and medicine and PA and nursing and everything else from conventional to integrative. And along the way, I had the pleasure of teaching all those different professionals and training, mostly differential diagnosis, laboratory medicine, management of complex chronic disease. So, and I have stayed in practice all that time, part-time practice now. But it's been a fun ride. It's been a big change over 30 years from when I started to now. I wish I had all the tools we have now 30 years ago. I'll tell you that. Much. Yeah, that would, that would that would certainly be
0: nice. I'm not sure how you even manage time for vacation and things with, with such
2: a busy schedule. Doctor, Witherby, my adrenal glands are the size of raisins.
0: <laughs> no, come on. Yeah, what do you know? want you adrenal specialist, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: No, they're doing okay. I, luckily, I'm one of those people who are a bit blessed at being a multitasker and kind of feeding. And I almost I almost feel better and less stressed than I do better, just my, my core being when I'm doing a bunch of different things and busy and feeding my brain than if I'm chilling and relaxing. That gets me more stressed than being happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So you wear two hats. You know, you're the chief medical officer for two companies that are major players in the assessment and diagnostic field and also but in the treatment world as well. And then clearly, you know, post-COVID, but even before COVID, we were seeing a sort of an explosion of these very complex chronic diseases that have, like you said, a whole interplay of different biological systems and things like that. Just how do you see, given that you're in the diagnostic world, so you're kind of seeing these markers that you're testing, doing the testing with the practitioners, And then on the other end, you're also seeing the supplements and the nutritional treatments. What's the interplay around the identification and the management of complex chronic disease in your experience?
2: Well, I think for a lot of my career, the management of complex chronic disease, at least I'm mainly speaking now from the functional integrative end of things, you know, people trying to come up with ideas and hypotheses and and ways in which they might help some of these people that had you know, a whole constellation of symptoms. And, you, you know, these patients, we all know them, right? We see them all mm-hmm. the time. They're very, very difficult. And if it was easy to solve, they would have got it solved in their, in their early in their journey. Usually, mm-hmm. it, by the time they get to us, they've been through every conventional specialist known. And oftentimes, either they've thrown up their hands and told them there's nothing we can do, or they're being just symptomatically managed and they're on... Un- 12 medications for 12 symptoms and do all mm-hmm. other medications to manage the side effects of the first 12. So mm-hmm. neither thing is a great solution for them. So they find our way to us. And sometimes I think it's just a matter of looking at what makes sense mechanistically and from a biochemical standpoint and their symptom standpoint and kind of trying things, right? It's a lot of therapeutic interventions and seeing what happens. So, And a lot of it is done with sort of this for that Therapy, right? And particularly in nutrition. So when I when I trained a lot of nutritionists, I would always tell them, listen, you it's human nature and easy to lean back on these paint by numbers. Everyone wants a protocol, right? What's your pro I on in these forms now and I see the practitioners talking, hey, what's your protocol for pancreatitis? Well, it better be to get to the hospital and yeah, and hopefully yeah. the best them right? What's your protocol for astrocytoma of the brain? You know, it's ridiculous. But but even in normal things, like what's your protocol for IBS? And I get the desire for those things, but that's very, very this for that nutrition, right? Given mm-hmm. this, because it's good for that. And often they're leaning on maybe some literature that's out there. Some of it's animal level stuff, some mm-hmm. of it's human stuff. And luckily we use therapeutics that generally speaking do no harm. Mm. Uh, and potential financial harm, yeah. and just inconvenience, and and a lot of people I see, they come in with GI problems, and they're on so many darn supplements. If they didn't have GI problems before that, I'm not surprised they have.
0: Yeah, really. right. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: So I think you know we're rapidly having to move into a whole new game, and that is really truly doing precision, personalized therapeutics on people, and, and in order to do that not only do you need to do, you know, like really good histories and examinations, do good medicine, but you really need good precision diagnostics that can pierce deep enough to give you answers at the metabolic biochemical sort of level of really key core functions in the body that you can find out where you're gonna get the best bang for your buck and what are the most effective levers that you can change someone's functional outcomes and do it with the least amount of things possible. And that's where we're getting to now. It's not perfect, but it's way better than it was. It's remarkable to me how many people are not utilizing that, taking advantage of it, and they're still doing this for that protocol nutrition. Mm -hmm. Which, you know what, in the end, when I'm speaking in front of crowds of whether they're nutritionists or other kind of functional docs that are still doing that stuff and not using a lot of personalized testing, I'm like, they don't need you. They can go and get your protocol, right? Or they can go to... GNC C and the person pulls up a protocol. I mean, that's no so the way could, to get They could the go product. chat GPT
0: to get the protocol, right?
2: No, so. no, no, no.
1: Could we say, could you just answer them and say the protocol depends on the individual?
2: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, hey, listen, at Designs for Health, we have hundreds of protocols that we put out there because people just want them. And if that's all they're going to use, then we're going to do our best job at trying to give them ideas on what things to try in certain circumstances that have the best chance of helping. But At the same time, we're advocating, listen, there's probably a better way to do this and trying to steer them toward those options.
0: So I feel like you've really answered a really big question for me. And I really, the work that I've done is around functional blood and trying to get people to use a blood chemistry and CBC analysis to do exactly that. And obviously, our output is different than yours. With Diagnostic Solutions, you've been with them for seven years. I know a little bit about the history of the company. but Maybe could you enlighten our listeners as to kind of what what type of testing diagnostic solutions does? And I'm fine with you doing a shameless promotion here because I, I want people <laughs> to get this information because it's needed. And who better mm-hmm. to get it than from you? So maybe just talk about diagnostic solutions. Why were you drawn to them as a company, or is it, or did you help form? I think you may have helped form the company, but I know
2: that. Dr. Richard Lord, I think he's been part of that group or? Well, I worked with Richard many years back when he was one of the Brainiacs at Metametrics. And he's not part of DSL, although he's a a very good friend of DSL. Mm -hmm. He's kind of in semi-retirement at this point from actually working with labs. But certainly I was very influenced by him Uh, He's a sort of a mentor in at least that type of laboratory science to me. And then some of my other partners that I started DSL with, we did work together and cut our teeth, if you will, at MetaMetrics. And it was a very innovative lab at the time. It was really the lab that was pushing things forward. And then the other labs were kind of copying what they did and then scaling it because they were bigger companies with bigger outreach and bigger marketing or what have you. But Mm -hmm. they were really the ones taking the chances and doing really cool, innovative stuff. So, and we worked together there and then they got acquired, doubled up. The industry goes, right? And things changed, you know, and it became more of a corporate thing. And we weren't really satisfied with that. And we weren't really satisfied with some of the stuff that was going on in a greater functional lab space. I mean, for instance, the GI testing, the stool testing was the same as it had been for 20, 30 years. I mean, nothing mm-hmm. really changed. It was old school microbiology and sensitivities sure, sure. that really didn't work very well. Some kit-based stool chemistries. It really wasn't all that advanced. So we made that first stab at really bringing it into the molecular world at metametrics with their FX test. And then that got, mm-hmm. kind of I remember it well. and mm-hmm. rolled in and changed And There was a lot of learning curves with that test. It really, it really showed us it was harder than we thought it was. <laughs> and there was some really good parts about it and, and some limitations to it. But then, you know, taking all of that, what we learned there and then the science progressed, we started DSL, we're an omics shop, all right? And we're mainly a molecular biology based shop. And our forte is really in molecular and in the GI space and quantitative PCR. So a lot of what goes out goes on out there in, let's say, microbiomics testing is really more 16S sequencing, and that's not quantitative. It's it's really looking at what organisms are there and then what percentage of the DNA of the total. Microbiota of the gut is made up by a certain genus, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes species. (laughs) 16S is not great at going to the species level in many cases, and it's not very good at all at strain, and it's not good at, you can't really tell functional characteristics of organisms. So it's really not the ideal way to test the GI environment Mm -hmm. from a microbial standpoint to make clinical decisions, like medical decisions, because it's not quantitative. It's just relative. So is really good for is research. Let's say you're a researcher and you're trying to say, well, what is different about the total compositional signature of GI microbiota in patients who have roots arthritis versus patients who don't? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or people who have metabolic syndrome, or people in LA versus people in Tokyo, or vegetarians versus meat eaters, right? For that, you need sequencing because you need a 30,000 foot view down to the landscape, right? You need to know what all is there and what are the relative percentages of things. But when you're trying to make a diagnostic decision, does Mary Jones have a pathogenic infection? Or does Mary Jones? So dysbiosis with specific organisms, you can't use that kind of testing. You you need to use targeted quantitative PCR, and that's what we do. We have a curated, highly curated list of organisms. Some of them, there's a whole list of acute pathogens. You know, organisms that would cause overt symptoms. Generally, things like Campylobacter, and C. Diff, and enter hemorrhagic coli, and all the bad you know, salmonella and yersinia and all the real bad bacteria, angiardia and Tamoeba histolytica and so, and so forth in protozoa and then neurovirus, adenovirus things like that. But then also using very targeted quantitative probes for your beneficial organisms or your commensals on mm-hmm. organisms. So everything from what clinicians tend to think of as beneficial organisms, which are things like lactobacillus and bifidobacteria, which are not really normally a substantial part of the human microbiota at all. Those are Mm -hmm. additive outside organisms given for some functional effect. But the real commensals that move the dial are different, you know, and they include things that people have become more aware of in the recent few years, like Acromantia, Mucinophilia, Mm -hmm. Picallobacterium prostitia, and Rosburia, and others. We're looking for those. And then we're also looking across a list of potentially opportunistic overgrowth organisms. So when there is overgrowth and you get symptoms often, gas, bloating, distention, things like SIBO, for instance, you have overgrowth of a pretty predictable organisms. So we look at a whole list of these opportunistic organisms, including ones that we know produce methane and other kinds of gases that tend to cause symptoms, but we really zone in on organisms that we know can cause immune dysfunction. So various autoimmune triggers, you know, your eclipsiolids and citrobacter and uh, Proteus and Prevotella and those types of organisms. And then we do a really good screen over all the stool chemistry. So looking at the digestive and absorption mm-hmm. markers, immunological markers, inflammatory markers, barrier integrity markers. So we mix all this quantitative PCR over the kind of landscape that the integrated functional medicine doctor wants to see. And mm-hmm. some of this quantitative PCR is used in conventional testing, but only for pathogens panels, right? Just a small list of organisms that tend to cause overt you know, acute diarrhea and things like that. So we're using that technology and we've been able to come up with the methodology over a much larger landscape and then combine that with stool chemistries. And that's on our flagship test, the GI map. And that's the leading stool test now in the integrative functional space. So that's where the lab came up being known as, but we're really a much bigger shop than that. We really, much newer advanced uh, metabolomics, including organic acids and other small molecules from, you know, it's timed urine samples. Again, we looked at, you know, organic acid panels and things that have been out there for decades. And we did a whole fresh sort of literature review on them. And a lot of those markers didn't have a lot of data behind them. If they did, it was like one animal study or whatever. So we really took a, a much more evidence-based approach to those legacy markers, which ones were good, which ones were a little shaky. And then we added a bunch of new ones that had emerged since those uh, panels had been developed. And and, uh, and then we transferred it on to the latest you know, methodological instruments, Right, the best way to do them. So that's our omics testing, and we do a lot of cytokine testing. Uh, you mentioned, you know, COVID. We do a lot of long haul COVID testing and things like mm-hmm. that for cytokine abnormalities. You know, there's different aberrant cytokine signatures associated with different specific clinical conditions, and that can be used to not only diagnose those conditions uh, but follow treatment, serial assessment. And then we do some immunology stuff. We do, you know, some food sensitivity testing. But we also do genomics, and we do genomics a little differently in that we do all of our own sequencing and develop data sets. And then we have a couple of different options and tools to transfer that very large uh, genomic data set into medical genomic informatics platforms that was designed by Peter Diadamo, mm-hmm. one of the brainiacs of our uh, I worked with Peter hand in hand on this because I brought him to the University of Bridgeport to, to uh, start his his center of excellence in generative medicine originally. And we did a lot of, his team did a lot of the work there and really refining Opus. And we use an iteration of Opus in the DSL testing called Genomic Insight. It's an easier version of Opus to use. So you don't have mm-hmm. to be like this super high level genomics nerd you could be a clinic and i can just go in and like kind of it automates it a lot so that's what we do and we're adding different types of testing and stool metabolomics and other things all the time as they come out we're working on some really cool anti-aging panels and just trying to stay really ahead of the at mm-hmm. the tip of the sphere
0: fascinating well thanks for taking us on a journey that. I mean, <laughs> it's really i mean i have a quick question yeah, can i ask a it. quick question no.
1: So, with the testing, let's say you find some pathogens, what is your favorite natural antibiotic, and how do you get probiotics if you use them to actually colonize in the gut?
2: Oh, uh, well, that's a good question. Loaded question. My, <laughs> favorite, my favorite antimicrobial is if a lot of the older tests had these sensitivity tests, they call them, right? With or individual like volatiles and things like that. Those sensitivity tests are not, to my they're not really worth the paper they're printed on because they're not really indicative of what happens if you orally ingest that botanical or that volatile oil okay cuz they're what they're done they're done in an aqueous solution with these organisms and they do a translucence test and they put this substance in there whatever the botanical or whatever is and then they wait a certain amount of time they do another translucence test and if they the organisms were killed and sort of settled that there's a different level of translucence, it's not really directly weightable in any way that has any objective backing on how that relates to actually taking that herb or supplement in an oral form. It's not worked out to the level of, let's say, antibiotic sensitivity tests Mm -hmm. with different Mm -hmm. classes of antibiotics. But a lot of people lean on them. But in the end, I think most people use these combination type products, right? That Mm -hmm. combine various botanicals that have long historic use as safe GI antimicrobials, a lot of contained botanicals mm-hmm. and so forth. And they combine that with volatile oils. And that's really not a bad way to go. It's not only anecdotally with outcomes in the clinic, but you know we've done some studies on it, did some stuff with Jerry Mullen at Johns Hopkins on this, looking at those type of approaches that are used commonly in functional and naturopathic medicine versus something like Rifaximin or Zyfaxin, right? Using a prescriptive, locally acting GI antibiotic. And actually the results are better with the natural mm-hmm. seen yep. that. The initial results are about the same, but the stickiness of the improvements are better with the natural stuff. And it's mm-hmm. probably because with Zyfaxin and Rifaximin regimens, you're killing too much of the good guys. Mm-hmm. Too much collateral damage. It's really amazing how some of the botanicals that we use in natural GI Therapeutics are really kind of selective for really going after the pathogens and the opportunists at a lower dose that it takes for them to take out the beneficial commensals. So they're really beautiful therapeutic agents. I developed and formulated one many years ago and have changed it, improved it over the years based on what I saw on mm-hmm. stool test outcomes called GI Microbex in the Society uh, mm-hmm. for Health line. I tend to use that a lot, and I combine it with our oil of oregano as a yeah. one-two punch, just to get cover the whole sensitivity spectrum. And usually, that's taken sort of for a three-week or so regimen, fairly frequently, like TID, and away from food. And then at the same time, we're backfilling with growing prebiotics more with food. How to get probiotics to set up? First of all, I guess use good ones. You know, use multi strain good probiotics. It's nice if you can get them in a delivery system, the right kind of encapsulated technology mm-hmm. that releases dental, where there should be released, using them in desiccant-lined bottles, taking care of the probiotic until you take it, like the shelf storage conditions and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then you should be using a probiotic that actually has engraftment data, that they've done it in humans, uh, not just simulated gut environments, yep. but actually testing of engraftment, because that's really, really important. But probiotics are interesting. I think most practitioners in their training were told very wrong things mm-hmm. about probiotics. They are kind of given that idea of the old 4R or 5R kind of well, program. No. Gut. Well, the, the 1R is re-inoculate, right? Which mm-hmm. is kind of reseed the gut with the good bacteria, which means, you know, bomb them with probiotics. The is pretty clear that the level and there's an arms race in probiotics. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> really? Well, that's nothing minus 200 billion. Yeah. When it comes down to it, those numbers are statistically insignificantly different mm-hmm. compared to the GI microbiome. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the numbers don't matter that much because when you give up probiotic, which is an organism that fundamentally is not supposed to be there, like mm-hmm. lack of cells, really, what you're doing is you're introducing an outsider, and it's not to make it kind of colonize and crowd out all the other stuff in the gut because it's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. It's really a messenger. It's a signal messenger to the mucosal immune system. And it makes big changes functionally by changing cytokine expression and a lot of stuff about the metabolome in the gut that we can objectively quantify. But it doesn't fundamentally change the commensal foot, you know, fingerprint, if you will, of the person's Mm -hmm. GI microbiota only temporarily. Like if you transient, do quantitative, yeah. yes, yeah, transient. So you'll get higher levels of lactobacillus, let's say, on post-testing if you're using a lot of oral probiotics. But mm-hmm. if you stop taking that probiotic within weeks, it'll go back. Plus. All right. Mm-hmm. So they're a temporary therapeutic agents, where the goal is really is to come up with how to favorably change the true commensal fingerprint of someone and right now the biggest tools to do that are dietary changes probiotics postbiotics things like that polyphenols some of the prebiotics as we know sometimes the downside of those is people with dysbiosis overgrowth SIBO you can make them worse. Mm-hmm. Make it but how about the, probiotic enemas i haven't used those a lot so i can't really speak like you know, on clinical outcomes on those i know we are working feverishly right now with partners on actually orally deliverable commensal organisms that are strict anaerobes and facultative, because now there's ways to lyophilize like, those organisms and to stabilize them in an oral delivery that we have in engraftment data. And you're seeing some limited things like an Acromancia product is out there, but we're looking to do this on a much larger scale, which would be akin to sort of like fecal microbial transplant mm-hmm. results in a castle. So it's kind of cool. That's developing very quickly. There are
0: options. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So let's coming back to the uh, complex chronic disease element. Yeah. You know, you're describing two things. One is an explosion in the testing that you're doing at at, uh, Diagnostic Solutions, and the complexity of the information that you're providing. And now I'm looking at Designs for Health's website, and I've just looked Mm -hmm. on the microbial support, and there's like Four or five different pre-biomed uh, mm-hmm. products yeah. like, yeah. so that it's not just the complex diseases that are, are an issue here but it's like for the clinician it's like the complexity of the diagnostic and assessment data you and then the, the well, well i mean yeah the complexity <laughs> of the treatment side of things so yeah. how does a clinician keep up i mean you're a superman you've got to obviously live and <laughs> breathe this stuff and it's one yeah. i love hearing you talking about it. your fluency mm-hmm. is extraordinary but how do mm-hmm. to mere mortals who may be listening to this go well i kind of like my protocols where i know what to I do know, because I get it. it's easy yeah. you know but so focus yeah. through that how mm-hmm. do they manage the data stream how do they keep up mm-hmm. to date
2: yeah i get it and you really went right to the heart of the matter and uh surprised it, it is a brave new world okay yeah. and, and it's hard to keep up with right because we used to suffer from the problem of not enough information, and now we suffer from an equally problematic issue of too much information. No. And when the heck did we do with it? So, and some of the solutions there are AI and machine learning and things like that, which we're harnessing and utilizing. And that'll only get more. But right now, for instance, with designs for health, I mean, we have a real vested interest in clinicians using our therapeutic products. In the right way at the right time in the right location yeah. at the right dose for the best outcome so we teamed up with dsl in a collaboration to put out what are called the designs for out spotlight tests and there's one in there's metabolomics spotlight there's genomic spotlight and there's gi spotlight and what they are is trying to harness the complexity of these multi-omics testing world but right very high-level machine learning, really complex uh, pattern analysis algorithms to decipher the data and then to make clinical recommendations. So it's kind of what spits out the other end after all the data's chomped up. You're getting the data presented to you, but more, instead of just marker by marker, it's more grouped and functional, categorically, functionally, and you're given a sort of an algorithm score, like a power score, if you will, like a heat map score on each functional category, reach spotlight, as we call it. And then it's going to give you actual product recommendations, how to best, most efficiently use the DFH product line, if you're doing those tests, to meet the needs of that patient. And those were designed in particular for providers, let's say, clinical nutritionists, health coaches, chiros, docs, physicians who just don't really understand all of this testing don't have time to deal with it don't want to deal with it but understand the value in it and want to utilize it in their practice but don't want to become sort of a lab nerd like me so it it kind of does the it does the curating and the hard work and the interpretation for them and just spits it out in an easy way that they can deal with it and explain it to the patient okay on the other end at dsl they're offering more of the full-on This is the data, you interpret it. We have clinical support to help you interpret it. This is like even the next level up, right? For the person who really wants every single thing and they self-interpret it and there's no product recommendation. There's generalities, you know, generic recommendations. So it's really kind of you pick your level in which you want to engage your dance in this stuff. But the landscape is changing. And let me give you an example where we won't well, we put out our genetic insight test at DSL. It was very hard to get the clinicians to understand what it was because when the patient sends back their buccal swab and all the sequencing is done on over 900,000 900, SNPs, right? Well, you can't get a PDF static report of 900,000 SNPs. Right? Right. What are you do with it? Yeah. And people, I'm sure all the clinicians have people bring in like, 16 sequencing tests or bring in 23andMe raw data and they slam it on your desk and it's too <laughs> and They're like well tell me interpret this for me i have no idea mm-hmm. on these sequencing tests i do this in the laboratory i'm looking at some of this stuff and i'm going i've never even heard of that <laughs> right because they're they're clinically not relevant that we know of. so so genomic insight the way we dealt with that is the data set gets dumped into this medical informatics platform which is opus 23 and we have like a custom navigation portal of it called opus explorer and that's part of the genomic insights test and the clinician then can just click on that patient's data set and it opens up a whole world for them that they can go explore the person's genome Mm -hmm. look at their SNPs in let's say they're interested in cardiovascular or they're interested in inflammation or they're interested in cognition or they're interested in methylation or whatever it can be they can go and explore in that area based on the clinical context of the actual patient that they're managing and they can self curate or they can use automated tools in there to tell them just hey these are the big ticket items found in this person's data set and this is where you need to bolster them with you know different nutrients or different dietary or exercise regimens, whatever it may be. So we are leaving rapidly the world of, you send in a sample and you get back, the clinician gets back a static PDF with the lab Mm -hmm. results. We're gonna be delivering big data to them, but mashing it up, curating it, making sense of it, and delivering the action steps that would have the highest value. The highest value targets for them based on metadata because that's where it's going. We're trying to take what is being learned from all this research on metadata with omics, but we it down to the level of the individual patient, which means for the clinician, okay, if we run all this stuff on somebody, I can't interpret all that stuff. Have all of the brainiac design algorithms and AI and machine learning and stuff, chop it up and tell me what really matters from it mm-hmm. and how we can do something about it. And that's what we're trying to do, but it's a real learning curve for the practitioner when they get a data set that they have to open up uh a, a, informatics portal mm-hmm. then a PDF, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we well, have great, that you have YouTube videos too that are educational though too to enhance the learning yeah. of the practitioner. I see them
2: all over mentioned. the DSL website. There's a whole mm-hmm. DSL academy with all that stuff. I'll tell you when clinicians do it over the, like kind of the intimidation factor of it, if they haven't lived and breathed this stuff mm-hmm. and they get into it, and we've done everything possible to create like a hold your hand through it. At mm-hmm. Designs for Alpha and DSL, there's full clinical technical support people for clinicians to meet you at your level and get you up on this stuff. But once clinicians kind of get a taste for this, they're hooked because they mm-hmm. see it. The lights come on. They go, oh my God, how can I ever practice without this stuff again?
1: All the pieces of the puzzle kind of can come together that way. And that's when it clicks.
2: And you can combine it with... Other things, you know, when the serology stuff, like we don't do conventional serological testing, uh, mm-hmm. blood chemistry is on CBCs and oral panels and things like that. There's a lot of value in those, too. And uh, of mm-hmm. course, especially if you look at them from the right perspective. But, you know, they're only meant to look at things certain ways, right? They're the really designed in, originally, at least, to look for end organ failure, disease, mm-hmm. serious problems they leave some to be desired when you're trying to look at personalized metabolism and biochemistry and optimization and things like that. So they're just not the same thing. They both serve a purpose and they both can be looked at in various ways. But really the strength is to be able to combine in both of those types of aspects.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. We like to look at dysfunction too. Of course, with the optimal ranges, we're not looking for end stage disease, but instead you're pathway to end-stage disease.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I've always said to people is like, listen, this is not absolute. This is just mm-hmm. a, another tool that you can use to get a window into the human body and human physiology. Sure. And yeah. from my perspective, I think it's actually a very good entry-level test because it gives you a good lay of the land of, of what's out there. Yep. And I imagine that, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of formulating this question right. in my head, was, so we've got complex chronic disease. I think of two sort of scenarios. One is someone has been previously diagnosed with a chronic complex disease. They're coming to an integrative medicine practitioner. How do they use the, the testing and then obviously driving treatment and from the testing? But really, I think the most tricky cases is that patient that comes in, they don't necessarily have a quote-unquote diagnosis. They're coming in, they're just feeling not right. And I'm wondering from your perspective, if you have kind of like a, looking at the dsl line maybe sort of a an assessment diagnostic triage you know what would you start at first as some kind of your um and what criteria would you use to maybe move into some of these omics testing because clearly you can't do them all mm-hmm. the, the complexity and the amount of data that you would receive would be overwhelming for mm-hmm. anybody so yeah if you don't mind i mean i think our listeners would love to know kind of like okay so i'm looking at the dsl website And there's a ton of stuff here. How do I tease it out? What's my root? What's my, how do I trio?
2: That's That's another great question. It really depends on the context of the clinical case. All right. Let's say someone was coming in and their main issues really were GI issues, right? Whether they're coming in having had a diagnosis of IDS or maybe they have Frank IBD or maybe they just have a whole bunch of GI symptoms and that's their major complaint. Then honestly, I would probably start with a GI map because I really want to see what is the landscape of their GI environment, not only from the microbial standpoint, you no know, pathogens, opportunists, commensals, but also those functional stool chemistries, are, how are they digesting, absorbing, what's their immunological stance like in the gut? Are they in uninflammatory posture or not? Do they have likely gut barrier integrity, leaky gut issues? Do they have blood? Is there any dangerous things going on there? So I'd probably do a GI map because, you know, in functional integrative and naturopathic medicine, I think we all kind of agree that if someone's gut's are wreck, mm-hmm. they're going to have a hard time being healthy, right? So it's not a bad foundational place to start. However, if I had a patient coming in and let's say they don't have a lot of gut symptoms or they have minor gut symptoms, but their main issues are fatigue, post-exertional malaise, brain fog... You know, those kinds of things, Uh, then I'm probably honestly starting with an omics test, which OMX is our test, but it's metabolomics. And there's a couple of different variations of that. The lowest level one would be just sort of organic acids. And then you go up to the full omics test, which adds a bunch of other small molecules and picks apart like amino acid metabolism and all a lot more in depth. And then you can either do it all in time urine, or you can do urine and plasma. Some of the markers that are done in plasma, they're also able to be done with the urine sample, but the plasma is probably the gold standard for those markers. There's more data on the plasmas that we do offer that. But a lot of clinicians don't wanna do the phlebotomy and things like that. And if you're just doing the urine version, you can just drop ship the kit to the patient, let's say, mm-hmm. and they send it in. And it's really is an equivalent as far as I'm concerned. So. My probably the two biggest tests I do do are omics, you know, organic acids and small molecules under that metabolomics banner and GI map. And with metabolomics to me is like what the blood chemistry, CDC, the lipid panel, thyroid panel kind of workup is in conventional diagnostic medicine. You know, the foundation where you start triaging through this stuff with objective testing That's what the metabolomics test is to me in functional integrative medicine. And it doesn't replace the blood chemistry, CBC, all that stuff. That stands alone. And we do that too, because that's just normal. None of this supplies nuts and bolts medical diagnosis, right? But add on. But the metabolomics, you know, you mentioned Richard Ward. I think Richard once said this, talking about organic acid testing at the time. He said, you know... It doesn't tell you everything about anything, but it tells you a, a <laughs> decent amount about a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Like in, in this book, well, see, Georgia kind of way, is it tells you fundamentally are the cells making energy, are the mitochondria working, and if they're is it anaerobic or aerobic breakdown, where it is, where the metabolic lesions may be, and therefore what enzymes involved and what nutrient would be involved to catalyze it and what you can do to try to therapeutically bridge it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's going to tell you also unique personalized need for really key enzymatic cofactors, because it's looking along the chain of biochemistry, right? So it'll really tell you to a much higher level than I think serum testing, for instance, do you need more specific B vitamins? And if so, which ones or specific minerals and things like that? Because it's using functional outcomes to derive but it's going to tell you a lot about you know neurotransmitter status because you're looking at metabolites of epinephrine and norepinephrine and dopamine and serotonin and catecholamines in general and in our case of our omics you know cortisol and those types of things so that tells you a lot about patients who have anxiety and depression and insomnia and unrefreshed sleep and pain perception disorders and on and on a lot of our patients right it gives you some information on Detoxification. You know, are your routes of detoxification working fairly well? Are you being exposed to some ubiquitous toxins and struggling, with trying to process them? It gives you information on the GI tract, not like a GI map, but it'll give you kind of chemical evidence of likely dysbiosis or microbial overgrowth. And for digestion, are you producing a lot of putrefactive factors in the gut and leaving them there? And the the microbes are feasting on them, let's say. It tells you if you're under a lot of oxidative stress, and I'm sure I'm leaving stuff out, but it tells you a whole lot of stuff That's to a get started. Yeah. 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 So it's like a triage test in a way. And then genomics, I probably use the least of the omics. And honestly, and I know that might be blasphemy to some people listening, because a lot of people when STIPS first came out, thought they were the magical cure to everything and almost based their entire practice on STIPS analysis. And oftentimes it's on a really small number of SNPs, right? It's (laughs) like methylation SNPs, like 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. And I'm not diminishing the value of those, but, you know, looking at specific SNPs or small numbers of SNPs is really extremely myopic. It's really looking down in a needle hole, right? And genomics are useful, but genomics are all about potential, right? It's what's more likely to happen or not it's not really what's happening. It's what's more likely if Mm -hmm. Jupiter aligns with Mars, you know, peanut butter on Tuesday and whatever, (laughs) where metabolomics is actually telling you what is happening. So Mm -hmm. if I had to choose between the two and there's value in both, I'm gonna pick metabolomics all day long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the
1: individual's genes is gonna affect how their genes are expressed, so the SNPs alone aren't gonna tell you the whole story. because you have it doesn't mean you have it. Mm
0: Final question. We've talked about machine learning and AI. It's there. It's arrived. It's probably been here for a while. (laughs) We haven't been aware of. What role do you see AI playing in the future of functional, integrative, and naturopathic and nutritional medicine?
2: Oh, man. I think it's a danger. We have two minutes. (laughs) It's going to be transformational, not only for our kind of medicine, but for conventional medicine. And I think it's actually going to be the thing that finally... Kind of blends the two because it's by nature going to find the best it always like when i did my hospital rotations in medical school it always blew me away that the different patients same disorder like a lumbar yeah. disc if they went to the orthopedic spinal specialist they got an incision six inches long they got a few multiple segments fused mm-hmm. you know they're using drills and saws and and playing you know top over the stereo and the or and then the other patient goes to the neurosurgeon, they have a suit, you know, a incision that's a half inch long and they're wearing microscopes on their eyes and Mm they're playing classical music. And they, two totally different approaches to the same problem. I'm told that medicine is evidence-based. Well, there's not enough evidence to tell you which way is better, right? It's not, it's an apprenticeship. So AI, I think is going to tell us what's the best way to go. And It's going to be hard to ignore it just based on your apprenticeship or the old ways of doing things. It's going to be very claritive. So mainly we're using machine learning and we're using complex pattern analysis algorithms. We're using a certain amount of AI. There's some AI elements to Opus 23, for instance, but it's just really starting to emerge on the scene and affect the diagnostic side of functional integrative medicine. It's already being used with differential diagnostic generators, right? Where you put in patient symptoms and age, and pretty soon you're going to be putting in specific SNPs and specific Mm -hmm. metabolomics outcomes and microbiome outcomes, and then it's going to doctor Watson it for you and pretty (laughs) much tell things going on. It's probably going to be it's already more accurate than people. Okay, Mm -hmm. it's a bit scary. (laughs) (laughs) Very
0: well, (laughs) Doctor Brady. Thank you so much. This is the final opportunity in our podcast where we love shameless promotions. So please share with our audience anything that you're up to, books you've written, books you're about to write, uh, upcoming webinars, oh, training oh. programs. Tell us about the latest omics testing from Diagnostic Solutions, Designs for Health. People want to hear this stuff from our guests. So uh, oh, well, thank you. let us know oh. how people might be able to continue following you and your work. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, the book side, I'm not writing any books right now. I have no plan to because the last ones I've written almost killed me. And whatever renal glands I have left, I'm <laughs> going to Yeah, but I guess my latest kind of general book was called The Fibro Fix. And it's all about kind of dealing with the complex chronic illness, uh, which is fibromyalgia. It came out in 2016. I wish I can rewrite the whole thing because we've learned a lot since then. But you know, I have a lot of textbooks out there and textbook chapters and things like that. But if you want to learn kind of more about my work, my research, my publications, and just some really cool content on the kind of patients I treat and everything, you can just hit my main website at drdavidbrady.com. So drdavidbrady.com, drdavidbrady.com. But if you want to learn more about a lot of the laboratory diagnostics and the omics testing we talked about, you can just go to Diagnostics Solutions Lab. Dot com So spelled in no. Diagnostic Solutions Lab, no S, lab.com. Tons of educational resources there on that kind of testing. And then on the therapeutic side, just designsforhealth.com. And if you land there, one of the first things you'll see, I think, is a banner for that spotlight testing suite I was talking about with GI Spotlight, metabolomic Spotlight, and genomic Spotlight. They're the easiest version of real significant testing in this omics domain to use. There's a lot of Mickey Mouse stuff out there, particularly direct to consumer with these apps and stuff that really doesn't tell you much of anything that's actionable. So take a look at it. I think you'd be surprised at how easy it could be to use and help you differentiate your practice. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, cool. so that's designsforhealth.com is the place to go get those spotlight testing. So please yeah. go check mm-hmm. them out. Yeah. I think for those of you that might be just wanting to get your feet wet and just see what this is about, like you said, David, it's a great opportunity.
2: Yeah. And they're practitioner-based tests. They're not, order, you know, they're not direct consumer tests. We, everything we design, we design with the clinician integrally involved in it because we mm-hmm. really think the only way you could get, get really good outcomes is to have that knowledgeable clinician involved in the process, changes everything
0: yeah well dr brady thank you very much that's hey thank you (laughs) well thank you so yeah appreciate it very much everyone go over to designs for diagnostic solutions lab i think is that right yeah yeah dot com dr david (laughs) brady.com yeah (laughs) all right dr brady thanks so much really appreciate it and uh, thank you enjoy the rest of your afternoon
1: thank you